you can find a Bible, either your copy that you brought or the, the copy in the pew ahead of you or the copy you have on your phone, your smart device or wherever it is that you can access the Bible, please turn to Ruth chapter 3. We will be there this morning walking through that together. But before we do, a, a minor correction. Okay, we um, we informed you both in the connection and reiterated it this morning that today is the last day to bring the Operation Christmas Child boxes. You're too late. It was actually last Sunday. Not sure how that mistake was made, but it was last Sunday. So you can still turn them in, just not here. All right. If you will go to SamaritansPurse.org, you can find the nearest collection site and get it delivered to them. Um, we don't have the means. That's already been taken. The bird has already flown the coop. Okay, so uh, just go online and find out where. If you need more information, contact the church office and we'll direct you to the right people with that. As we move to chapter 3 in the book of Ruth, The contrast between where the story began and where we are at this point is is substantial, right? Because in beginning, we saw Naomi move away from home with her husband, with her boys, off to Moab because of famine. Things were difficult and they only got worse, right? Because at the end of chapter 1, we find that Ruth has now come home without a husband, he died. Without her sons, they died. And without one of her daughter-in-law, she went back to Moab. But loyal Ruth stuck with her and came back against much protestation of, of Naomi, right? Naomi thought it was a bad idea. And so Ruth came. And at the end of chapter 1, we find that Ruth is bemoaning, not Ruth, but Naomi is bemoaning her bitter lot in life. That's a tough place to be. But as we move from there to where we are here, we see a lot has changed in chapter 2. A whole lot has changed. In fact, we're going to see that there so much has changed that this little bright spot in Bethlehem will stand in stark contrast to the world around You see, the world around in that day, it was the time of the judges. And if you know anything of the Old Testament, and if you don't, I encourage you to go read the book of Judges. Read there and you will see a theme repeated, right? And they did that which was right in their own eyes. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And then the book of Ruth. And then famine. And then death. And then death and then death, and then bitterness. But then, but then, in chapter 2, we see that something big happened. And what we're going to see in the book of Ruth is we're going to observe in Bethlehem people who, in the midst of this culture, this climate of judges, these people demonstrated their loyalty to Jehovah by the, by the way they lived and treated one another. We sort of get a hint of that when Boaz shows up in the field, right? Well, first of all, when Ruth shows up in the field knowing that under God's law that she has the, the right to go and glean from the field. Then Boaz shows up in the field and, and, and greets his workers in the name of God and they bless him as well. And then 
Boaz sees this lovely lady Ruth out in the field gleaning. And he comes and he blesses her. And, and she is provided for. And so we find that these people are treating one another in a way that is in keeping with God's covenant law. It is the way he designed for his people to live. Here this non-Israelite, a Moabite woman, an outsider, Ruth, has come to take refuge. Under, the, under really the wings of the Lord, her God, right? It was going to be her God and they would be her people. And by God's providence, she ends up gleaning in the fields of Boaz, the fields of a fairly close relative, right? Which is a big deal, as we're going to find out today. And having met Ruth, and having heard all that she had done for her mother-in-law, right? This scuttlebutt in Bethlehem was about how loyal she was to come back, and what a good woman she was to work in the fields and to help provide for her mother-in-law. The word was out, and we find that Boaz had heard that, and he blessed her, saying, The Lord repay you for all you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord. Sounds like a wonderful blessing. Given to a Moabite woman. A full blessing, a full reward. There are some, and I tend to agree with them, that this was old Boaz hinting at something. Boaz was offering a young lady a full reward. What is a full reward? Well, in Israel, that full reward for a Israelite woman who was a widow would be one who would be redeemed by the next of kin and she would be restored to her land and her family. Right? That's not offered generally to, a, to, a, to an outsider. Well, she wasn't an outsider. She had come to Israel to her God, to her people, right? As she pledged to Naomi. So we don't know for sure, but this has the inklings of a little bit of a Hallmark movie in the making, right? Something's happening, all right? And and we all kind of know it because it's a Hallmark movie. We all know the little book of Ruth, and so we know where it's going. And when you read it that way, you kind of go, oh, okay, oh, Bo, go, Right? He's, 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 he's making some moves already. Well, it's, it, we, we are pretty confident that that wasn't the last contact that they had. Because we know by the end of chapter 2 that Ruth is gleaning in the fields alongside Boaz's young women. So she's there and he's for sure going to be checking up on the harvest and almost for sure going to be checking her out, right? And And so we've got them in close proximity there, but then they both live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is not Noblesville or, or even probably Cicero, right? Maybe Arcadia, right? Maybe more at this, as you're getting smaller. These weren't big communities. This is like Waverly, Kansas, where I grew up, where everybody knew what you're going to do before you even knew you're going to do it, right? They probably ran into each other on a regular basis, allowing for Naomi, Naomi, who's not out in the fields, right, to observe, to sort of see what's going on. And so what comes next would be almost shocking if we'd not read chapter 2. Because Naomi has come a long ways, baby, from where she was at the end of chapter 2. And here's what we read in verse 1 of chapter 3. Then Naomi 
Ruth's mother-in-law said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it will be well with you? Remember, this is Naomi who said, Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. Bitter people don't generally think of other people. Bitter people tend to be withdrawn and consumed with their own needs. And all of us can tend towards that, right? When bad things happen to us, we draw in, right? And so it's, it's a natural thing. Not necessarily a good thing, but it's a natural thing. But by the gracious providence of God, Naomi's bitterness had given way to active selfless hope. Naomi, in the midst of her suffering, of losing her husband and her sons and coming back empty, was not preoccupied with her own pain. But she turned her preoccupation with caring for the one whom her son had loved. What a great way to honor her son, is to love this woman who was loved by her son. Instead of being selfish and trying to say, I'm going to keep her to myself and let her look out for me. And she looked out for Ruth. Why should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? This really is an important path towards healing, right? On that path towards healing is when we can look outward and begin to practice love, even when we don't feel it when we know it's the right thing to do and we love someone practically and with genuine care and concern. Whether you're struggling with the loss of someone or maybe struggling in marriage or, or in your family, this is a beginning step. Is begin to treat well those around you, right? And, and let God transform your heart, warm your heart to, to see that he is continuing to use you, right? There's a whole lot more could be given. Sermons could be, pre- a book could be written. By the way, there is a really good book by Paul Tripp on bitterness, but you can, you can, right? Is it Paul Tripp I, or our brother Steve Byers, I believe, from up in, in Faith in Lafayette? Get that book and you can see more there. But with hope in her heart, observing God's providence moving in the life of Ruth, we see rekindled in Naomi's heart a ray of hope. She may not have begun singing Amazing Grace yet, but she might have been humming a few bars. She started to see what was going on here and say, could it be? Really? With this rekindled hope, she sought to provide for Ruth what she knew as an older woman was never likely to be hers, right? A a husband and a home, security, and hope. So, she wasn't being a meddler. She wasn't being a schemer when she came up with this plan. Some people would say, oh, she's just a little busybody. No, she was not. She was a very wise, observant woman. She understood both God's covenant law pertaining to the kinsman redeemer, and in God's providence, she saw him supplying such a worthy man as a possibility. Right? To be their likely redeemer. So she sought for Ruth what she knew she herself longed for. She sought for Ruth rest and a good future. She wanted her to have the security of a truly good, loving husband. And she, she was able to observe Boaz, right? And how he was already treating her and the others. And, he, and a stable home that would provide for her to be rescued from a pretty tough situation, right? 
couple of widow ladies didn't have a lot of options. And it was, they graciously had been provided for by Boaz, but there was no reason to expect that he would just keep on pouring out all this good stuff to him. She wanted to see a sure thing. She wanted to see Ruth in the home, right? So, Naomi, with Ruth's good in mind, employed an insightful and practical strategy for seeking God's kindness for Ruth. This was, again, you're like, okay, yeah, you're sort of manipulating. No, she sees that God's plan is for the kinsman redeemer. That was God's plan for his people in that day, was that if a woman lost her husband, that a next of kin would come alongside and provide. So she, that is God's goodness to them. That was his plan. And so she was simply seeking a way in which that plan could be brought about, right? To seek God's kindness for Ruth. And so we see in verse 2 where she says, Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? So what does that tell us? You were. What's done at that point if it's a past tense? She's been working in the fields with the young women. So the were tells us that they're no longer doing it. They're no longer in the fields. She's no longer bumping into Boaz out in the fields, right? But it also tells us that things are turning. This is, this could be called a Thanksgiving romance because that's exactly when it happened. It, by God's providence, Chris, you had no idea, or maybe you did, that this was going to match up with this weekend. But that's what they were doing. They were at the point where they were threshing the grain and they were celebrating God's goodness in providing for them. It was Thanksgiving. See, I'm telling you, Hallmark movie written all over it, right? By Christmas, they'll be married, I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe by the next day. So it says, proceeding from there, see, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourselves, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Kind of important that you get the right guy, right? Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. That's a pretty confident plan, right? So, this is a great plan, right, moms and dads? Fraught with peril. I don't think any of you are thinking, yeah, okay, I got a plan. So tonight, (laughs) yeah, I'm not even going to go there because immediately moms and dads are like, ah, no, right? Do not do that. Well, I think Naomi would have very much agreed with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. She would have also, Proverbs 16, 1, understood that you make our pla- we make our plans, but God directs the paths, right? In the end, we make plans, but we leave it to the Lord. But I think it's a good point in the sermon to take a pause. And to simply say that, and, and I think this was brought out as, as we kicked off this series, that descriptive texts are not necessarily prescriptive. Now, let me unpack that for you. Just because something happens in Scripture doesn't mean that it's prescribing that for us to live it out the same way today. So, in other words, this is not how you necessarily should go about a wedding proposal. Okay? 
And we laugh about that. But all the time people do that with Scripture. They take it and say, well, and they'll, they'll even write, you know, a whole series of books on, you know, the threshing floor romance, right? And, uh, and how to propose to your, to your beloved. Um, the, we do dumb things like that. But the point here is in this particular place in time, in their exact situation, in their culture, under the laws of the covenant in which they lived, and with the relational ties that they had, all that, this made sense. Matter of fact, it was a very humble, insightful plan for Ruth to claim what was her right through marriage. She wasn't asking for something that was out of line. By marriage into Elimelech's family and in her faith in Jehovah God to be one of his people, this was her right. And so we don't have the same laws here today. And so life is different. So be careful. Be careful in how that we, first of all, understand Scripture and second of all, how we apply it. Right? Just because it's described in Scripture does not mean it's prescribed by Scripture. So in Boaz, Naomi informed her daughter-in-law, Ruth, that God had provided her a a kinsman redeemer. And this idea is one who will act on behalf of one who is in need or in trouble or in danger, and they'll step in. In this case, it it, it obviously is involving a home, a family, right? And we're going to find out in chapter 4, even land. But it's pretty cool. How here in Boaz, maybe better than any other example in the Old Testament, we see the law that God established lived out in this matter of the kinsman redeemer. How to respond in covenant love to a relative in need. Boaz responded to Ruth and Naomi's struggles with compassion, generosity, and without delay. He wasn't asking what he was going to get out of so. He gets a beautiful bride, right? His integrity magnificently foreshadowed how Jesus Christ would one day redeem all who trust in His name, who humbly come before Him and ask for His redemption, right? That He provides so freely. Naomi explained not only the custom, but more importantly in this case, not more importantly, but equally as important, how she was going to be able to properly gain the interest and action of good old Bo, their redeemer. So Naomi suggested that the time is right to put off grieving. Now, this is something that we sort of jump past. But when she washes her face and anoints herself, she isn't just getting prettied up to go meet Boaz. This is a, a very conscientious step towards being done with the grieving period. Right? There's a time to mourn, and there's a time to laugh, a time to celebrate. And in this case, it's a time for new beginnings. Yet, she is not leaving behind her husband. And folks, this is something that those of you who've lost loved ones really struggle with. How, how and when do we move on? That's a hard thing. And many of you have experienced that. Even in the last couple of years, we've had a number who've lost their, their loved ones. It's hard to know. When, when, do I, when do I take care of clothes and, and different things in, in the home? When, do I, when can I possibly enter the dating scene again? Those are hard things, but they're real things. And they're good questions. 
And others can't necessarily answer those for you. But it is good at, at, to, to, under, to honor them by going on living. We do know that. And in this sense, in a very real sense, what she is about to do goes on with more than just her going on living. Her stepping into this role to ask for the kinsman redeemer is basically like saying, hey, I want to prolong your line. The kids I have, yes, they will be from another man, but they are because of you. Had I not married you, Elimelech's son, then this child would never have been born. So she is actually honoring him by taking this step. And she's also honoring him with the kind of man that she has drawn to, Boaz. And, and we find that, that he is a worthy man. We read in chapter 2. So the time is right for her to wash herself, to anoint and put on her cloak. And so she heads out. Many of you um, would see the, uh, see the timing and know that his heart's full. He's already happy, right? It's, it's harvest time. Many would see that her state of mind was right. Um, he's no longer worried about the harvest. If you're a farmer, don't be making a proposal during the harvest, right? There's a, I mean, yeah, he's got work to do, but it's not like worrying about the harvest, Right? Because that is a consuming thing. You've got to get that in while the weather's good. You've got to get it in before the bugs come, before the, the hail comes, before the winds come, before the, the invaders come. Right? So the state of mind was right and the participants were right. Two worthy people, Ruth and Naomi. And so Ruth was ready and willing and she replied in, in Ruth chapter 3 verse 5. She said, all that you say, I will do. She said, let's go. Right um, now, this would have been a very awkward thing for many, many reasons. Um, first of all, being a woman in that culture would have made it difficult and also just the setting. But Ruth's willingness exemplified a confidence in Jehovah. Remember, we've already talked about this. God's plan for the, the kinsman redeemer. Naomi's wisdom. She trusted her mother-in-law. Right. And Boaz's character. She did not know how this would turn out. She maybe had sort of the hopefulness of, of Naomi, but she's the one who had to go. But she wasn't frozen with fear. She stepped out in, in confident faith. She was ready to act based on what she knew of God and his plan and what she knew of Boaz and his character. Right? She'd seen him live out his commitment to the covenant law pertaining to her specifically in the fields. So she already knew that he was the kind of guy that was loyal to Jehovah and his law. So that may have given her some hope. She was able to be confident that Boaz might follow through because of his commitment. You see, one commentator noted Boaz was her kinsman redeemer and she had the right to expect him to marry her and raise up a family to perpetuate the name of Elimelech. But Naomi wisely counseled Ruth to not come as a victim demanding her rights, but as a humble servant, trusting in the goodness of her kinsman redeemer. She said to Boaz, I respect you, I trust you, and I will put my fate in your hands. And so here's what she did. She went down to the threshing floor, verse 6, and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, 
He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then, and just to pause, very likely there's a reason that uh, Naomi knew that he would be there, not just because he was, he was going to be there winnowing, but someone had to stay and guard the grain. This was a very vulnerable time. When these piles of grain were there, it was a really good time to come in and get some cheap grain. You know, no work, just come in, scoop it up. So someone had to stay watch over the grain. Okay? And by where he lay down gives us an idea that maybe that's what he was doing, was watching, guarding the grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled, turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Remember, it's dark, right? It's dark at midnight. And we'll see even when she leaves, it's still dark. So he couldn't immediately know who it was. And he was startled. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your dream. No, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. You see, Ruth's risky, and I highlight here, not risque. Ruth's risky proposal brought God's, sought God's blessing through Boaz. Ruth's actions could have been misunderstood and they could have been rejected. But Ruth showed up early enough, first of all, to know who it was that she was, she was going to lie down at the feet of, right? Um, they might have been scattered around, maybe a fire nearby, I don't know. But early enough that while the merriment was going on, while the Thanksgiving celebration was happening, she could sort of observe that. It would have been natural for her to be there while this, this feasting was going on as part of the crew, right? And she saw where he lay down. And then quietly, and it says softly, not secretly, because immediately right there, some people began to infer some sexual innuendo into this passage. And I don't see anywhere, nor do I read anything that convinces me that anything but the most pure intentions were here. And I mean, frankly, if... If you think about it, first of all, this this act of uncovering his feet is often sexualized, um, but it doesn't make any sense. I mean, the dude didn't wake up. I don't need to say a lot. He didn't wake up. He didn't wake up till midnight. She'd been there a while. It got dark early. They didn't have, you know, they, all they might have had was, they'd go, go to bed pretty early. It's pretty, they had a fire. He woke up and he was startled with her lying at his feet. Folks, don't let people, just because they write it on the internet or speak it boldly in some sermon or write it in a book, don't let them convince you from what you read in Scripture. And what it says in Scripture, I think we can depend on. His, I mean... I think when he woke up, he was startled. What is that at the foot of my sleeping bag? What in the world? Has a, you know, possum crawled up? Oh no, it's a woman. (laughs) What's she doing out here? Right? Who are you? And that's a good question. Again, if he's guarding the grain, he wants to know who's there. Um, And so this proposal, though, was not out of nowhere. It wasn't like she just came up with this and and then crawled up there and boom, like, hey, surprise, did you know that uh, you're my... I think this is the clue that when in chapter 2, when he said, may God give you a full reward and 
the, the God whom you have placed yourself under his wings, may he give you a full reward. I think Ruth understood what he was putting down. Because she reflects that back to him, right? In Ruth 2.12, he says, He said, The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Well, what did she say to him? She said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. He said, May God spread his wings over you. And she said, I agree. May you be the ambassador of God and spread your wings and therefore be the representative of God spreading your wings over me. And while some, again, twist this, making a double meaning of this, I think we find the meaning of, of this spreading your wings, because often like the, the cloak, the wings, would we get the picture of spreading those, those over, one of protection. Ezekiel 16.8 helps us see that this is a covenant. This is a commitment that's being asked for. Ezekiel 16.8 says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. She was looking for commitment. What did that commitment entail? She was asking for the rescue of her, not only from poverty, but from barrenness. She was, she represented Elimelech and her deceased husband in this way, and Boaz could redeem not only her, but also the property. And again, I don't want to steal the thunder from next week, right? But, but that's where this proposal is going. It's like, I, I just need you for everything, right? You're going to be my everything, Boaz. How does Boaz respond? So, in verse 10, we read, And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. And in that, you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. It doesn't sound very romantic. Like here's, you. she offers up, hey, be my redeemer, baby. And he brings back, hey, I will, but someone else might get you. Oh, well, that's kind of a letdown. And maybe we see that she's kind of concerned about that when she goes home. We'll look at that a little bit. But nonetheless, it's not what we all were hoping for in this Hallmark movie. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning, right? So while she saw herself in a place of need and comes as a servant, Boaz didn't really see her this way. He saw her in in a sense of of. Oh my goodness. For me? You, you, you picked me? Right? He starts out with, you are known in town as a worthy woman. We get that same idea in Proverbs 31.10 where it says, An excellent or virtuous or worthy wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. 
See, Boaz's commitment to Ruth's redemption was rooted in love for Ruth. I could even, you could even say a respect and love for Ruth and submission to God. Boaz saw God's blessing all over this. He, he saw that it was a kindness to him. He wasn't even so much thinking that, oh, I can be so kind to her. He starts with, oh my word, you have been so kind to me. Right? So here at the threshing floor, the contrast of Boaz and Ruth with the surrounding culture is probably the most evident. Because Boaz's immediate response is not, oh, lucky me, I've got this woman out here in the, at the threshing floor. Actually, it was to recognize Ruth as an instrument of God's grace, of God's kindness to him. This idea of kindness, of God's goodness, his graciousness in action, right? She could have gone after, he says, all the young men, whether they were poor or rich, it, wouldn't have, it might not have mattered, but you could have gone after them. They were your age, probably more attractive. But you came to me in keeping with the covenant of God. You see the theme? She is, again, a woman acting in faith in God's covenant and therefore found her hope in the man that the covenant identified as a potential redeemer. And in doing this, he sees it as a double gift. The first kindness, your last kindness is greater than the first. She does a kindness to her husband by following the covenant law to seek her redeemer. He, she honors his family line. And the second kindness is to him. And he says this second kindness is even better than your first to your husband. You bless me. So much. Oh man, that's a good response, Boaz. That's that's the kind of that's the kind of stuff what she wants to hear. Now, she honored her husband, her mother-in-law, and her family by seeking Boaz as her as her redeemer, and she honored Boaz by giving this opportunity to him. Ruth did not do that which was right in her own eyes, which may have been to pursue any number of the guys that she hung out in the field with during harvest. Instead, she sought to honor. The Lord, but also we see in Boaz. Boaz did not take what was not his. Young men, Boaz did not take what was not his. He did not do that which was right in his own eyes, but rather he acted in purity towards Ruth and in keeping with covenant law pertaining the kinsman redeemer. Boaz blessed her. Boaz committed to her. Boaz affirmed her. Hey, you. You, friend, are seen as worthy in the whole community. Even the people in the gate identify you as a worthy woman. It's pretty interesting that by inference, we can tell that the people of Bethlehem were living in a way, in a manner that was loyalty to Jehovah God. Because they weren't out there trying to beat, this, beat down this Moabite woman. They weren't, uh, you see her, oh look, she's getting Boaz attention. He was such a big possibility for me, right? There wasn't, there, it, that's not what Boaz is hearing. He's hearing that Ruth, she's a loyal one. She's a hard worker. She's a faithful woman. She's a worthy woman. So that says so much about the people of Bethlehem. What would that, is that true in our world? Is that the kind of conversations that people would hear around us? 
Are we like the Bethlehemites and we speak well of one another, especially when they're not in our hearing, right? He had heard good word and he affirmed that. You see, I love what John Piper writes. He says, listen, the mood of American life today is if it feels good, do it. And forget about your guilt-producing, puritanical principles of chastity and faithfulness. But I say to you, if the stars are shining in their beauty and your blood is thudding like a hammer and you are safe in the privacy of your place, stop. For the sake of righteousness, stop. Let the morning dawn on your purity. Don't be like the world. Be like Boaz. Be like Ruth. Profoundly in love, subtle and perceptive in communication, powerful in self-control, committed to righteousness. That's a powerful word for, for all of us, but especially for our young people, to pursue righteousness and let the goodness of God be your strength, right? Well, Boaz, Boaz behaved in purity towards Ruth, and he demonstrated a selfless love. He was willing, Boaz was willing to lose Ruth in order to make sure that she would be redeemed according to the covenant law by the closest of kin. So, he said, you know what? There's another one closer than I. And that one I'll have to check with first. I love you this much that I am not going to take what's mine. I'm not going to, to, to ruin your reputation. I'm not going to go against God's covenant law. I'm going to go by the book here. And I want to make sure that no one can come back and say, hey, this wasn't done right. I want to make sure it's done right. So he loved her that much. Do you love your loved ones enough to do the right thing even when it might be painful for you? It's a good question to consider. So with Boaz's commitment and his noble intentions clear, she lay at his feet till morning but arose before one could recognize the other. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Boaz, who are you talking to? Because there's a lot of confusion about what he says right here. Because it says, let not it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. There's all kinds of talk that, oh, he got up and talked to the other young men. Well, I mean, seriously, like if they all know, is that really going to be helpful to say, hey, guys, seriously, don't, don't tell anybody. That looks like a cover up, right? I don't think that's what it is. And many commentators would say, he's talking to her. Don't let it be known that a woman has come back to the threshing floor. Just keep this between us for now, because tomorrow I'm going I'm to close the deal, all right, one way or another, either with your other Redeemer or with me. So I'm going to protect your reputation so that no one can infer anything from this. You, you just go home. And he said, so he didn't just say, send her away empty. He said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Instead of taking, Boaz lovingly gave. In absence of a ring, Boaz gave grain. He's a good farm boy, right? He said, hey, you know, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give unto thee, right? Gave her a whole basket full of grain. He sent her home to the mother-in-law before light broke. See, he provided. He gave a hint of what was to come. Said this is just this is just a little baby. We're, we're if if God wills it, 
there's going to be a lot more where this came from. And he provided for Naomi and for Ruth as though he, she was already his wife, a promise of things to come. And all this, don't lose this, for a Moabite, for a Gentile, one who was not one of them. She was now, could not be more one of them than how he was treating her in this moment. And she went back home, and we read the, the closing verses here. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did it fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Man, he is smooth, right? <laughs> and she, Naomi, replied, Wait, my daughter, sit still is how that's literally translated. Sit still, my daughter, because I'm sure she was full of nervous energy. Like, oh man, this is going to be a big day. I mean, all of a sudden, her wedding day is upon her, right? I mean, it's like, this is, this is coming fast. How much, how quickly the turntables have turned, right? To quote a Michael Scott. Morning has not yet turned to dancing, but the band seems to be assembling and warming up. Because Naomi's bitterness of chapter 1 has hope now and is about to turn with hope of full-on fulfillment. Her hope has led her to peace and rest and waiting. You see, Naomi's hope was demonstrated by both her action and her waiting. Some might say that her waiting balanced out balanced out her action that she had employed over, the, over that evening. I would say no. I'd say it's, it's part of. It's, it's the same, it's fruit of the same hope. She had hope, therefore she acted in faith. She had hope and therefore she waited. They both are necessary. You see, she headed back Jehovah's people back in chapter 1 when she was left alone in Moab and she came home in bitter circumstances lived in submission to God and in love towards her daughter-in-law and now she's seen God at work. Naomi is once again Naomi. She is filled with hope. She's looking to what God is doing. She is practicing be still and know that I am God. See, God is aware, He's sovereign, He's at work, and He is providentially accomplishing His purpose for the good of His people. Are you one of His people? Then whatever that circumstance is in your life right now, God is at work. Providentially, the difference between sovereignty and providence. Sovereignty is God's authority and his power over all things. Providence is God at work accomplishing his mission. They can't even see the whole mission. They don't even see what God is doing in the big picture. That's the, the irony of all this. We're focused on this little story of Ruth and Naomi and God says, Psh, I got bigger fish to fry. But I do love them. I do care for them. And in the midst of this grand redemption story that we'll see played out next week, God is lovingly caring for His people here. His covenant people are being loved. 
And in a book where God is scarcely mentioned, we see a subtle brilliance because God's providence is at work behind every scene, weaving together the lives of the characters. While Naomi's tragedy leads her to believe that God is punishing her, we see that God is graciously restoring her, moving to a particular end, restoring her her and her family and the nation of Israel through the coming King David and ultimately through redeeming mankind through King Jesus. You see, we get hung up in our moments of suffering, in our moments of pain, and we forget that God is providentially working all things together for our good, that He's working in our lives and in the greater sense of of the life of this world to bring Himself glory and to bring about the greatest good in each of our lives. See, hope and rest are not found in knowing God's plan but in trusting God. You see the difference? One is, i got to know God. you got to tell me. I'm a control guy. i got to know. No. Do you know God? If you know God, you can trust Him. You can trust His wisdom. You can trust His justice. You can trust His, His goodness, His kindness. You can trust His word, His promises are true. You can trust Him. No matter how difficult it gets, whether you lose your husband and two sons and you're left destitute, you can trust God. For he is working together for your good and for his glory. May we live and rest as we long for the fulfillment of grace. In our day, that's the coming of Christ. In her day, well, first it's a husband and then It's so much more. And you'll have to come back next week to hear what great fulfillment to this wonderful story that we see through this Thanksgiving romance. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you that you work in mysterious and wondrous ways. We thank you that we can be confident in hope of your promises. We can both act and bear fruit of of righteousness in our lives. We can act in wisdom, confident of your, your word and your purposes. But Lord, that we can rest when we don't know your plan. We can, we can celebrate that our Redeemer has acted, is acting, and that he lives and reigns and will continue to act to redeem his people, to care for his people. And so we celebrate this morning that our Redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ and that you live and you reign and you love us as your people. This in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing, Our Redeemer Lives.